Welcome to the RCIA Hollywood Podcast, coming to you weekly from Sunset Boulevard in the heart of Los Angeles. RCIA Hollywood is a program designed particularly for artists who have an interest in exploring the Catholic faith in a systematic way, with the possibility of being fully admitted into the church during the Easter season. RCIA stands for Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults and it's a process that dates back to the very first centuries of Christianity. This week's class on Double Effect and the First Three Commandments is led by Barbara Nicolosi. We're studying this week the First Three Commandments we're going to talk about and so uh, these focus on our relationship with God particularly. Um, so I guess it's appropriate to um, take a moment and start, um, place ourselves in God's presence. And then maybe um, let's just exhale for a couple minutes and stop. And, and, and if I asked you, you know, the, there's only one question <coughs> in spiritual direction when you go for spiritual There's only really one question. And that is, what is God saying to you today? What is God saying to you today? So I'm going to start with that, and then we'll just take a couple moments. And in the context of I am the Lord your God, you will have no other gods before me. Um, what, what is God saying to us? So take a moment place ourselves in the presence of God. And in all the noisy traffic on Sunset Boulevard. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together here. We thank you that we can take this time now to study your law together, to wonder at it. Um, I'm going to take a moment now and um, each of us in the quiet of our hearts speak to you. What, what is it that you have said to us this week, today? What is it that you are saying to us today? And let's pray the prayer that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Anybody want to share, any if it's not too private, anything that God's saying to them today? Okay. Um, I guess everything's too private, so that's, <laughs> that's fine. Well, I, I, don't, yeah. I just am, mm -hmm. I don't know if it would help anybody, but I just feel like the last couple of days God's been saying, trust me, mm -hmm. and like just let go and trust me. And yeah. there haven't I'm not really sure what it applies to yet, so yeah, that's right. why I'm like not really sure. Yeah, I get that one a lot. You know what I get a lot is I'm there, you know, I kind of come into the presence of God and then say, I'm dumb and I'm schlepped and I'm lazy and I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that and I'm this. And he's just there saying, <laughs> I'm so glad to see you. <laughs> and it's like, excuse me, I have to go down the list of all. And it's like, <laughs> uh, you need to know here. There's some things about me you don't you don't know. Like I, I find that 
is my pattern with God. You know, that I, and then when I can get through all that, then I can feel that, you know. Um, you know, it's like over and over again, Jesus saying, there's nothing in the heart of man that was a mystery to him. And he knew everything. And no, that's not what But moving into that, um, let's take a moment and look at the past week. And anything that was a falling short for us, anything that was a sin of omission, which was that we didn't do something that, some impulse that came to us, we should have done, or something that was a sin of commission, we did something that we really wish we could have back, that was a falling short, um, call that to mind and ask God's forgiveness. Um, and now, um, let's um, pray for the people who've asked for our prayers, um, the people especially who um, the church tells us won't pray for themselves, people who can't pray for themselves, and, um, but then any other particular intention. You pray for the people of Hollywood, pray for the conversion of people who um, don't, uh, who are committed to patterns of evil or sin, trapped in them. Ask for the church to be compassionate. That many, many more people come out here to be uh, apostles for this town and this industry. And pray that, that, that many, many beautiful, inspiring projects or appear out of nowhere, kind of just sprout up everywhere, and that people respond to them so that we can encourage and deepen the world. And now we end our prayer with them. Um, we're going to thank God for, in a minute, we're going to thank God for a saint that he. And, um, raised up in our midst, but I'd ask you also, let's, you know, any any blessings that you've received this week, any graces that you'd like, you know, to um, thank God for, uh, do do so now. Do it quietly or, or aloud. And for everything else we hold in our hearts, Lord, know that we are always grateful. We are always, help us to always be, um, to live in that place of gratitude. Um, openness to all the things, all the graces that you're offering us. And we end with our saint for the week um, <coughs> who is well, technically it's on March 4th, which is St. Casimir. Um, but I thought he was such a cool saint. There was somebody else for today, but it was so boring. I mean, it just was so boring. <laughs> just your average just your average heroic chastity or heroic virtue, yeah. Well, I thought this was cool because I'm, I'm a Renaissance fan. So okay. St. Casimir was the son of the king of Poland back in uh, 1458 before. And um, he was... He was he was third in line for the throne among 15 kids, 15 children, and um, and at a very young age he was he was taught by a very smart uh, professor or whatever. So he ended up um, at a very young age taking on wanting to have live a celibate life and a uh, very religious life, uh, prayerful. And um, at the age of 15 he ended up. Um, his father ended up leaving the country for a little bit, so well there was some problems with Hungary, I guess Hungary and the kings there, and they weren't happy. So they they had requested to have um, Casimir be the be their king, and then but Casimir was like, I don't want the throne and and all of that, and um, so his father ended up leaving during that time, but he ended up taking over the throne for a couple months at the age of fifteen of Poland, at, at, yeah. Um, 
and and the people loved him because he was so dedicated to the poor. He had such a strong um, uh, a strong love for for the needy and unfortunate, and um, and so he became the people called him the patron of the poor. Uh, and now, let's see. He was never unapproachable in his conversation or dealings with anyone, no matter how humble or obscure, even though he was a son of a king. Um, he was very meek and poor of spirit. And then at the age of 23, he came down with tuberculosis and he ended up um, dying of that. Wow. Um, but through his life, I mean, he, through his very short life, he, had, he ended up just impacting so many people in the kingdom just as being the son of a king and um, being very careful. And, and even though he um, he had the high pressures of, of getting married to you know some duchess or something, and, and he stayed very steadfast in being celibate. So, um, is he a patron of anything particular? Um, that is a fabulous question. I think he's I, probably the patron of Poland, along with um, Our Lady you know, of Czestochowa. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, he. It says here uh, he practiced Christian virtues with special regard to chastity and kindness to the poor and the zealous in the faith, particularly in his devotion to the Holy Eucharist and the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they should find out what he's paid for. That's, that's a good question. It doesn't yeah. say here, so. Very good. Thank you. So we end our prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. All right. So we are going to talk about the first three commandments today. And then next week, your schedule says that we're going to be doing... Um, it's wrong, anyway. <laughs> um, what we're doing next week is we're going to substitute, because we have these two professors from Notre Dame coming, and they're going to be fabulous. They're so excited to do this. They've been working on it for about, I talked to Dan about this about two years ago, and wow. he said to me, you know, how can I, how, you know, how can we help your work? Because I had said that there was a need for scholars and thinkers of the church to come up with um, a theology and a philosophy and an ethics for entertainment in the arts. <coughs> and I said, and then, but they have to, it has to be communicable to the creative people. It has to be. It can't be that you, like, because I, I met him, I went to a, pit, a conference at Notre Dame called Epiphanies of Beauty, and it was all scholars, and they basically come in with their 10-page paper <laughs> and put it down, and then, and as Kierkegaard's <laughs> a la croix point is that in 1838, you know, like this, and I like, this is b ridiculous. You know, it's completely inaccessible for creative people. It was nothing but an exercise in scholars kind of one-upping each other. And sure, I'm sure, beautiful work, but who cares? Nobody's going to ever read it except other scholars, and it's never going to filter down. So I came out of that raving, and Dan met me in the hallway, and I was <laughs> like, no, 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 this is not what we need. So so he really took it seriously. And and um, we I remember sitting in a park bench in front of the Golden Dome at Notre Dame, you know, telling him what ranting, and he um, <laughs> he was like, well, okay, you know, you know. Um, and uh, his father, he has a very interesting um, story because his father, Ralph McInerney, wrote the Father Dowling series that Ron Austin made into a television show, and aired for a long for about a couple of seasons. So Ralph had, and Dan grew up with connections to the business. So Dan has a very, um, you know, he has a very uh, good understanding and, and care for, his, his association with Hollywood has not been negative, whereas a lot of other Catholic um, conservative people have. So um, he's going to teach next week with his friend. They put together this thing. And um, we'll see how it goes. Is that in the afternoon? Or it's, it's, he's going to teach in the morning. And what exactly are they taught? Do you know what they're talking about in the morning? 
He has said it's going to overlap a little bit from the topic of the afternoon, yeah. but it's going to relate to the commandments as much as it can. Okay. Moral life and the, the moral culture, life transformation and of culture. Sure. The arts. And then, and then in the afternoon, then we'll plan to have lunch here if, if you are able to. And then in the afternoon, they're doing a thing just on being in the entertainment industry um, from a Catholic perspective. And you know, Catholic view of cinema, et cetera. So if you can come all day, great. If you can only come part, you know, but but it would be lovely. I think it's going to be a great day. Okay. And um, and so we're switching. Then we had a class further on that was on the spirituality of Hollywood. Um, on on April nineteenth, that's the class that Dan is taking, kind of. So we're going to move the class from next week, which is Catholic social teaching, bioethics, and the life issues, is going to be moved now to April nineteenth. Okay. Is there any reading they need to do? Um, for next week, um, no. I mean, the letter to artists. If you can read the letter to artists by John Paul II. I'll send a link to you because it's online. Yeah, online. And try and read it a couple times because it's it's he's not easy to read, but he has beautiful, beautiful concepts. All right. Okay. So we're going to talk about um, the first three commandments, but I'm going to also give you double effect today. And in so doing, resolve all of your moral dilemmas forever. Right. Double effect. Double effect. This is the Catholic Church's secret gem of, of ethics. <laughs> and you know, I say this to somebody who I I took two classes in ethics at Fuller towards a PhD and dropped out because I realized that their ethic they didn't have an ethical framework the way the Catholic Church does. They have. Literally, they kept trying to find a Bible quote for every ethical situation that then they could say. And I actually heard him find a Bible quote that he then said, see, this is why you shouldn't speed, you know, on the freeway. And I was like, what? <coughs> you know, man, do not go too far for yourself or too fast in, on the mountains or something. like. And I was like, what? You know, like, because I could have translated that same quote 18 other ways. And, and, so, and so I, find, I raised my hand and I said, oh, you know, why do you have to find a Bible quote for everything? And he goes, because we're a, a biblical people. I'm like, well, I'm biblical too, but I got a brain. <laughs> and I can reason things through from first principles. So the, I, the Catholic Church's idea of ethics in, is, begins from first principles. We call first principles. So you have to kind of get back to um, what things are always going to be objectively evil you know, or objectively good, that there are some actions that are always, for example, objectively good, like gratitude. You know, it, in itself, to be grateful, even if you're if you're screwed up and it's you don't even like you're, you shouldn't be grateful for that thing that somebody did for you. You know, you're kind of messed up and you're you're grateful somebody hit you across the face. The act of gratitude is still good, like the motive in us to say you did something for me and I'm responding with gratitude. So gratitude is objectively good. Um, it's always something, so never, this is another uh, little segue, never resist the impulse to say thank you, because mm -hmm. it's an objectively good act. All right. In the same way, so anyway, you, can, I can, you can identify some very solid objectively good acts. You know, active acts of humility, acts of mercy, acts of compassion, um, acts of love. Um, these things are always going to be good. When we say objectively good, that means that apart from the circumstances, apart from the moment, through all of the ages, any human being down through human history would acknowledge that this is a good. You know, it, 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 would, it would make sense to them because of what they are, what they're made of, okay? 
In the same way, we, we believe that there's objectively evil acts, things that that um, are never going to be okay. And and so we can go through the list of them. One of the things we're going to be talking about a little bit as we go ahead is what are these objectively evil acts? And and this was some, like for example, it's not it's hard to find actually a lot of them because if I said to you, is sticking a knife in someone an objectively evil act? What do you think? He said he got that one right away. Not for a surgeon. Not for a doctor. So sticking a knife in somebody is not an objectively evil act. What makes it evil is the intention. But, for example, an objectively evil act would be blasphemy. To take the name of the Lord, to take the name of the Lord in, in to, um, to willfully, you know, um, as Jesus says, the sin against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven, that, that cannot, the sin against the Holy Spirit is the one that cannot be forgiven. And he says that right after they have called him Beelzebub. So he cures a man. They, they say, it's by Satan that you did that. And Jesus says, every sin will be forgiven men except the sin against the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So in other words, they saw an objectively beautiful good act, a healing. They imputed it to Satan. Because only God could have done this. And they say it was Satan. And, and this, is a, this is an objectively evil act. Um, so blasphemy. Um, Why and, can that not be forgiven, though? Well, you know, you do tell me. I think it's because it re represents. It's not that it can't be <coughs> forgiven by God. It's that man who has gotten to that point won't seek forgiveness. Won't seek forgiveness. Will not repent. God will forgive any time we turn around. But I think Jesus is saying, "You have just seen me do an action that only God can do, and you have been. Your heart is so hard." with jealousy and hatred that you have said it's coming from Satan. You, this is you know, the sin against the Holy Spirit. You know, the, because the Spirit, what does the Spirit do? He enlightens us. And so to sin against that, the Spirit says, this is God! And you say, no. I refuse. I, I will not serve, in the words of, of Lucifer. Right? So, okay. Um, now, we get down to ethics. There's some other, some other things that, that, you know, it's like that are always going to be evil. Um, and, and we can go through the whole list, and I'm not going to um, do that now. That's for an ethics class. But I'll give you an example of one. For example, it's always going to be evil to withhold food from someone. You know, if you have the ability to get food or, and water, always going to be evil to not give them that. Yeah. In fact, it's going to be, yeah. Can I give a short list? Please, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm get caught. This is from the Splendor of Truth, which was an encyclical letter that the John Paul II released on the moral life. And he's going through the Second Vatican Council, and he says, there are certain acts which are incapable of being ordered to God because they radically contradict the good of the person made in his image. And it says, from Second Vatican Council, um, in discussing the respect due to the human person, gives a number of examples. Whatever is hostile to life itself, such as any kind of homicide, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, voluntary suicide, whatever violates the integrity of the human person, mutilation, physical and mental torture, attempts to coerce the spirit, whatever is offensive to human dignity, subhuman living conditions, arbitrary imprisonment, deportation, slavery, prostitution and trafficking in women and children, degrading conditions of work, which treat laborers as mere instruments of profit and not as free persons. All of these and the like are a disgrace. They are a negation of the honor due to the Creator. 
Very good. Very good. What's a book? What's a book? That's um, the oh, Splendor of Truth. Splendor of Truth, paragraph 81. From Did you say deportation was in there? Yes. Yeah. Paragraph 81? Mm-hmm. So these are all first principles. This is an important list because it's like when you have, and, and the question is, like, we don't argue over these things. Um, the church says these, these are the, this is the bare bones of objectively evil first principles. And then we work up from that. But, but um, so in other words, it's like, okay, we've determined that coercing human, a human being to do something, you know, manip- forcing somebody to do something, violating their will, is, uh, is objectively evil. They don't get to do that. So now you get up a little bit further, and it's like, well, suppose and I'm in advertising, and I decide to make an ad that says, if you do not buy this, you know, this cold cream, your face is going to turn blue. Right? Do you see how that's connected now? It's like, well, it's advertising. It's a game. This is what we do. Everybody does it. And you go, ding, 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 ding. First principle. You're not allowed to coerce. Um, and so this, this is how you work your way up. But this, this need to kind of establish first principles is where we're going. Okay, now, double effect. Double effect was um, basically developed by St. Thomas. Um, I think he's the first one who kind of art, who laid it all out. Um, this is the way that we evaluate complex moral questions. Um, but the first thing you always have to do is get to the first principles in any kind of a situation. Um, figure out what the first principles are. And I'm talking about when you have a very complicated moral dilemma. And we're going to use the one for just war. There you go. Okay. We could also use, um, um, what was it you were asking? Capital, Capital punishment. But let's start with just war. Okay. Because this was very much in the news when George Bush invaded Iraq. I don't know if you remember, when the, when the Iraq war started, a whole bunch of Catholic theologians came out and said, this violates double effect. And there was this whole other people who were like, what the hell is double effect? <laughs> you know, but it was, it's such an established principle that, you know, and, and it really shook me up because I had supported the war because I was so, you know, let's just, let's just take the battleground out of the streets of Manhattan and put it in the desert somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's have them all go there and fight it out with our Marines, not our civilians. So that's all I, w- I cared about. But it bothered me tremendously that a lot of Catholic theologians and scholars, including the Pope, said that this is a problem. It doesn't follow Catholic ethics. So, okay. What is, what is double effect? Here's, here's the, um, the, the basic question is, do the ends ever justify the means? So when I say do the ends justify the means, and you hear that expression all the time, what does that mean to you? What are people asking there, really? What's the root of that question? What do they really want to say? What are they really asking to do? Say the ends justify the means. They're doing evil now, but at the end it'll... It'll work out. It'll work out. All right. So basically, people are saying, and you just nailed it very, very well. They're saying, and, and they're saying I'm going to do something that's morally ambiguous or actually not morally ambiguous. I'm going to do something that normally I would never do. But I'm going to do it now because I have to, because a greater good is at stake. And what did we hear this recently in our country? Over, big, very controversial, again, the Bush administration. Torture. Stem, 
Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Sorry. What were you going to say? Stem cell research. Or oh well, stem cell research is another great one. Absolutely. Stem cell research is like you know normally we wouldn't take embryos, breed them in labs, suck out their cells. You know, you know, crush their heads and suck out their cells. Normally we wouldn't, but to solve cancer, or Parkinson's, or you know any of these diseases, we're going we're going to do it, and it's regrettable. You know, I wouldn't walk down the street and just do it to any old infant. But let's face it, Parkinson's is very bad. And, and as Michael Fox said in his many ads, if there's anything we can do to stop suffering, we should do it. And there's the question. That's a perfect double effect setup. If there's anything we can do to stop suffering, we should do it. So the first thing, double effect comes in play when you have this, this compulsion to do something that's morally problematic. And yet, there's, you can see that it's going to reap, you think it's going to reap a potential good. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it might, I think. All right, so here's what the church says. Um, the principle is, whatever justifies the means, you know, the question, the answer to the question, um, what end ever justifies the means, evil means? The answer is none. So the Catholic Church is going to plant its flag in, you are never allowed to commit an evil to bring about a good. You're never allowed to commit an evil to bring about a good. What makes yeah, from the say? You're saying that, though, from a standpoint of when the means is evil, correct? Yes, this is where we're heading. Okay. Right, okay. Because obviously there's sometimes where you say the end justifies the means and it's not necessarily bad. I know as a uh -huh. rule of thumb that's usually what we're implying. Exactly. Yes. This you're, is you're talking about from the evil standpoint. I'm talking about um, objective from the the, the, the the principle is the first principle is you are not allowed to commit an evil to bring about a good. But what you are allowed to do is permit an evil to occur to bring about a good. You are allowed to allow, and you're allowed to make an action that will set a chain of events going that will allow an evil to occur so that a greater good might result. Let's give some examples of that. You know. So let me give you one right away that is, before we get to that, I'll give you one right away that's an example of the kind of the classic case example of something that would not be permitted. Um, there's always the case of in um, where we have a little child here. I don't know if she's tuning in, but here we go. Uh, World War II, the case of um, the women in the death camps who the Nazis said, if you sleep with us, we will give you food. Or if you sleep with us, we will keep this person from um, dying. You know, I keep your husband alive on the other side. You just sleep with me. And that's a great, uh, that's a classic example of something that would not be permitted. It's like you're going to commit adultery to save a life, your own or someone else's. It's wrong. Can't do it. This is a different question from culpability, by the way. I'm not saying that those women are going to hell, because culpability is how much moral responsibility do they have. The church would say very little, very, very little because they, they're in such diminished responsibility right now by all of the factors of their imprisonment and the situation and the hell, and the nothing has prepared anybody to be in Auschwitz, starving to death and having your husband 
you know, almost died. So the church is saying, we're not saying they are culpable, but we are saying the act of adultery is always wrong, and you cannot commit adultery to bring about a good. All right? All right. But how about something like um, a nuclear weapon or just war? Let's go to just war, okay? Um, yeah, because nuclear weapons is, gets very problematic. But, um, okay, just war. Um, you're going to attack Baghdad to kill the Republican Guard. Um, to stop Al-Qaeda. Now, bombing cities is evil. <laughs> right? Turning your soldiers into people death merchants is, is, is a very evil act. Saying, giving someone an order to kill other people is an evil act. It is, except in that framework it is. It's not if you're giving them an order to defend other human beings. Now it's a moral act. So if you see the military as these people are here to protect those who cannot protect themselves, us, and I'm commanding them to do what they must to stop an aggressor, now the military's fine. But it's still... Believe me, if part of that is, and I know they will have to kill people, now it becomes very serious, right? Um, so the, the church says, okay, there's four conditions in which it is okay to allow an evil to occur alongside a greater good. Um, oh, and I was going to give examples. Uh, one is, for example, um, here's the, probably the big controversial one. A woman is pregnant with a baby and finds out she has a life-threatening con uh, condition. Um, we had one in my family not long. I mean, it wasn't life-threatening, but it could have been in another family. My sister was discovered, after she was discovered to be pregnant, that she had a very bad heart problem. And the doctor said, well, just to let you know you're, you're putting a tremendous strain on your heart by seeing this pregnancy through. And so that's why he put her on full bed rest, you know, for like four, the next four and a half months. Okay. Now... Um, um, actually, the heart problem is a heart because it's not. I can't think of it. So, supposing there was an operation that my sister could have, and I don't even know if there is, that would allow her heart to be fixed. And the doctor would say, "Unfortunately, when we do this operation, your baby will die." Does my sister have the ability, have the moral right to say, to pull the trigger and say, go ahead, I'm going to live? What do you think? Okay, so they're going to do the operation to fix the heart. Is it what, an emergency operation? Like it has to be done? They're going to do it. My, my sister's, they're, oh, yeah, let's make it as easy. Let's make it as clear a case as possible. <laughs> All right? Just, I, yeah. yeah. That there is a very strong certainty that if she continues with the pregnancy, her heart will give, will go out. And they'll both die, right? perhaps. There's a very strong certainty anyway that, that her heart's going to give out. We're going to do an operation to fix her heart. The baby will die, nine, probably, while that operation to fix the heart is, is going on. Is it moral to, um, to, for her to say, fix the heart? Well, what do you think? 
You got a yes over here? Yeah. Why do you say yes? Because... <coughs> Yeah, I mean, you you want to, yeah. I mean, her life came first. She she needs to her life came first. Her she needs to protect herself. Because mm -hmm. you know what, my life came first before yours. Does right. that mean that mine's better than yours? No. Okay. But she's going. gonna die. And both of them are gonna die. Yeah. It's right. like you either one or both of them. Is you're on the right track, but you're just not arguing it very well. No. Yeah. No, <laughs> stick with your because. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because because yeah. both of them have the likelihood of dying, and okay. and you know it's it's the baby will probably die no matter what. Mm -hmm. Either, either option. Is that what you intend to do? Very good, but you're giving it away. You know the answer. Let me give you a different case that's related. Supposing the doctor said, There's, you're going to die if you carry this baby to term. So we're going to abort the baby so that the stress on your heart you know, will be relieved. Is that okay? Say it again, the first no. part what? Okay. The, the no. first part, we're going to have an operation to fix your heart, and the baby's going to die during that operation. <coughs> Second part, we're going to have an abortion mm. to relieve the stress on your heart. Um, and, you know, the baby will die. So in both cases, the baby dies. No, because you're committing that evil. Excellent. So the second, the first case, you're allowing... You're allowing the evil to happen. Allowing evil to happen. You're not willing the evil. You're not willing the evil. You're doing the good thing in terms of the heart surgery. Yes. And it's allowing the baby to die versus the baby dies alongside. Yeah. It's the same thing as we're going to attack Baghdad. We're going to kill 25,000 Al Qaeda and 3,000 civilians might die. Do we do it in war? That's the dilemma of war. No. It's true that the act is still evil, mm -hmm. um, and your intention can't make it a good act, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, you weren't aiming. You're not aiming act. for the civilians. Right. Mm -hmm. but, You're but not, like, in the, the difference well, with that, just one second, in then. the World War II during the Blitz, Hitler deliberately bombed the civilians of England mm -hmm. to break the spirit of the British people. Mm -hmm. We responded by doing that in Dresden and Berlin, to tell you the truth, which was evil. But up until that point, military targets had been what had been bombed and if civilians died okay suddenly in the blitz it's like you know what we're going to just kill the civilians we're just going to bomb the hell out of the civilians so you're saying it's okay well, to bomb the military but not the civilians and if the civilians die see they're not your target you're not trying to kill innocent people you're trying to kill military targets okay and along the time of killing the military targets civilians die oh. so what's your moral bullseye <laughs> well, there's a possibility. <laughs> there's a possibility in either case, like with the baby or yeah. the, that they may live. Yes. I mean, exactly. That's up to God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is up to God. Yeah. Yeah. A miracle could happen. The doctor could be wrong. Right. And in that operation to save your heart, the baby doesn't die. But how does? Yeah. How does? Uh, purpose. I say purposely, I know these are strong words, mm -hmm. purposely trying to bomb the military and killing those people, how is that okay when you say civilians might die, mm -hmm. but when you're attacking military people, why is that okay? That to kill military people? Yeah. Why? Because they are, because the state 
has a relationship to its citizens, which is um, in loco parentis, which is the Latin meaning they stand in the place of parents, the state. So in the same way that if you had a child, or let's take your wife, if someone comes at your wife, <laughs> where are you taking her? Right, no, no. Someone, take my wife, please. Right, you know, someone comes at her um, with um, a club, and there's a club on the ground. You have a moral obligation to pick that club up and defend your wife, right. more than Clayton does. If he does, it's heroic. If you do it, it's just you showing up as husband. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because your your relationship to Jennifer is is that you have assumed this responsibility for her. If when it's with children, even more so. Their parents have a responsibility to protect their children. The state has an, a parental relationship with its citizens, such that if someone's coming at us and attacking our, our citizens, the state has the right to defend the citizenry. And if the defense of the citizenry involves going over to Iraq and jerking the nuclear weapons out of the hands of the people who have demonstrated that they might drop them on, your New, on New York, that becomes allowed. But if in going over and jerking the nuclear weapons out of the hands of these people who have them, 2,000 people who are just going showing up at the market that day die, um, this would be permissible. So when you, when you said earlier about the defensive and defending, yeah. that could yeah. mean mm -hmm. offensive as well, but it's starting from the defensive. Mm -hmm. kind of, I mean, that, it's not like we have to sit back and wait for them to come, and when they come, we'll defend and shoot down their plane. It's in defense, we might have right. to go Right, and there. this was George Bush's argument, actually, about the war, and he invented, he pushed it too far. But he, you remember, anybody remember the name of the concept that he uh, asserted? In response to people saying, we can't go to Iraq and, and just take out Saddam because he might be... Is it the preemptive... Very good. Whatever. Preemptive war. Where he said, I'm not making, well, this is not an <coughs> aggressive war, because aggressive war is always wrong, according to the church. Mm. You're only allowed to fight defensively. And you're allowed to fight defensively, like I said, you have to go to Berlin to stop Hitler. Um, so if somebody, if somebody goes to their house and, like, beats up Jen and then goes away mm -hmm. and says, I'm going to come back and kill her tomorrow, it would be... Okay, for Ryan to go kill Absolutely. him first. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. This is what this is. You know, basically, defense of the citizenry. So, um, a defense of your family. So, so, so the idea of fighting overseas is always about that. We're going to stop. We have to go and take these weapons away from these people. We have to go and alleviate this threat against us. That's so. It's defensive. Okay. The aggressive thing that George Bush did and why the Iraq war was different was he said, well, preemptive is me having a moral certitude, or a very strong certitude, that this person would, in the right circumstances, begin an aggressive action against us. And that by, by taking, giving shelter and, and protection to our people who have attacked us, he has now become an aggressor state against us. So then, therefore, we're going to, even though he hasn't actually attacked us, we're going to attack him because he would if he could. And we're pretty sure about that. I'm starting to hear that someone might attack my wife. 
Yes, this is exactly right. right. They're no, starting or they're harboring other evil people, yes. so eventually they might. What is the thing that pushes you over that if you have a, an next door neighbor who starts, you know, every day you see him saying, I can't stand her, I can't stand her, I can't stand her, I can't stand her. At one point, does it become okay for you to go over and beat his skull in, you know, to, to keep him from doing, to acting right. on it? And that's basically what, what a lot of Catholic theologians feel we did in, in Iraq. Is that a mortal sin still, though? Well, this is culpability. You're, you're, we're talking about objective evil. You're trying to talk about culpability, mm -hmm. responsibility. The hard part is we don't know the intelligence they were using to make the decision. This is very true, and, and I and I and again, yeah. I don't mean to be, you know, um, it just it's an example that's out there. Okay, wait, pick you know. Are we done with that one? Okay, okay. Yeah, go ahead, pick okay, you. Pick go for it. Um, <laughs> killing an abortionist. Yes. Because they are going mm -hmm. in day after day, mm -hmm. killing the unborn. Okay, somebody see your way through that. Well, here's a great example. It's a great example, and now we're going to go through the four principles of double effect. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the church says, when is it allowed to commit, excuse me, when is it allowed to commit an evil to bring about a good? And the answer is? Never. 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 Okay. When is it okay to permit an evil to occur alongside a good or neutral action? So you're going to make a good or neutral action morally. And when you do that thing, this evil is going to be tricked off going to set it off, it's going to happen. Um, can you rephrase that? Okay. When is it okay to commit an, an, an action that in itself is neutral? Okay. Or good. But is going to cause or permit, excuse me, not cause, it's going to permit an evil to occur. Mm. Example. That's what we're gonna. That's what we're going for right now. So the example... Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So... Yeah. The example on the table is... This man goes to work every day and kills babies. Mm -hmm. And I have the obligation to stop him because I have a, an, as a citizen of the state, an in loco parentis relationship, especially as a Christian, to every defenseless person. And even though I'm, Tim has a more serious responsibility to save her, I would also have one. One second of the There you go. <laughs> you know, right? I know what I'm trying to do. Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> So here's the thing. The church says the first thing is you can do this. You can allow the evil to occur if, A, um, the action that you're going to commit is itself, this is the first, the first thing, good or neutral. So that's the first thing you have to, you have to be um, clear about. Okay. Good or neutral. So right away now, looking it's, at yeah. okay, right, it's not good. All right, to kill. we have now <laughs> yeah the, solved the first problem of the abortionist. Okay, because on the first thing right off the bat, the bat no, I can't kill w without the um, power of the sword. You don't have the power of the sword. The state retains the power of the sword in certain cases, right? Mm -hmm. um, that is, my brother-in-law's a cop. He has the power of the sword. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a license to kill. And if he needs it, you know, to defend me. I was going to say, not in this example, though. It's not like you can just get someone else. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So that's so right there. Okay. So, like, no, because my brother-in-law, we could say, well, my brother-in-law has a license to kill to defend the evil, to f defend the innocent. So he's, we have to do another um, thing for him. We would. Mm -hmm. Because in, some, in one sense, a child in the womb is being attacked. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law is instructed by the state, you can kill if you need to to preserve life. He has that power. So he's a different case. Right, but that's a different one. This is you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, you do not have the power, so it's off the table. Mm -hmm. All right. 
But then it's like, well, how do we, but that means you can't then shrug and say, okay, well, I guess I can just let him go off every day right. to work. To, uh, can I? Can I just, you know, do that? Um, am I okay with that? Uh, to tell you the truth, yes. Um, in the state that we're in, yes. But supposing you had to actually cooperate, you know, you had to drop him off at work. You know, now you're, <laughs> you know, now you're kind of involved. You know? All right, but, um, all right, so then the next question is proportionality. So we're going to move off of that a case because we've eliminated mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Wait, but, I, I'm not sure that I understand, though, because, mm -hmm. okay, any of us would have, would you say, the obligation to defend mm -hmm. Jen if... Right, yes. No, 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 you don't have, well, you have... Or just Ryan, because... Yeah, Ryan has the obligation as her husband. Okay. Very, the highest obligation okay. to protect and defend Jen. Right. You have an obligation on two tiers down. One is as a fellow human being, mm -hmm. you have a, a, a some kind of obligation to defend other people. You don't have the obligation to risk your life. He does. Mm -hmm. right? You don't have the obligation to even hurt yourself, get hurt. But, but if you saw, for example, she got knocked on the head and then started wandering in the street on, on Sunset Boulevard, and you were leaning on the lamppost, and you're like, huh, I can call, go grab her arm or yell at her, um, or I cannot. Like, that would be an evil act for you to sit there and allow that to right. happen on a human level, not on a Christian right, level. Right. Okay? A Christian level, you have a deeper urgency to defend the innocent, but again, not to the shedding of your own blood or life. You don't have that obligation okay. for people that are not connected to you, that you don't have a relationship with. The church would consider that heroism. And this is why soldiers at war who risk their lives to defend us are considered heroes by the church. Right? They're going and shedding their blood to protect you. Okay. But I don't understand the difference. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I know that it's wrong to kill. I wouldn't just kill an abortionist. But I don't understand the difference between if I was defending, if I was trying to be heroic and defend Jen and mm -hmm. I killed the person that was attacking her. Right. But that's just because it's permitted to happen and, and, and it's not me going yes. after the what abortionist. I'm going to go kill the abortionist. Okay, right. So now we're at the second qual. Okay, so here you are, um, and the person is attacking Jen. Mm -hmm. And... Um, there's the gun on the table, and the person is attacking Jen. And um, so the first question is, can you, is the action of shooting the person good or neutral? <coughs> You're going to say right away, it's, it's evil to shoot somebody. But I'm going to say, but is your intention to murder this person? Is that what you're, did that, you wake up this morning to murder. Okay. Your intention is to defend. Your intention is to defend. Mm -hmm. So the action that you're actually committing is, I'm not murdering a person to save a life. I'm, I'm killing a person who is taking a life. And murder and killing are two. The commandment is that shall not murder. Yeah. Um, killing, and, and, but, so, but the, so the first question is the action of, but, but here's the other thing. Just shooting a gun doesn't necessarily even mean killing, does it? You pick that gun up, you can shoot him in the leg. You can shoot him anything to stop him. Um, so the question is, so the first one is, can you shoot somebody who's attacking with the intention to kill a human being? It's like, yes, you can, because your intention there is to stop this thing from happening. The second question is proportionality, and this is um, leading to what you were saying. So the church says, okay, 
when you know an evil act is going to, an evil result is going to happen, you've already said the means that we can, that we're going to choose to, um, the thing we're going to do is okay, we can do it. Now the church says, well, is it in proportion? So for example, um, the guy comes up to Jen with a, um, you know, with brass knuckles. Uh, let, me, let me give a better example of this one. Um, the state of, of um, China um, drops bombs on Taiwan. You know, drops some bombs on Taiwan. This is a possible scenario. And we respond with 20,000 nuclear weapons <laughs> at the Chinese main, mainland. We stopped, we defended Taiwan, right? <laughs> Our action was not to attack China. Our action was to defend Taiwan. We nuked them back to the Stone Age, <laughs> and a billion people died. The church would say, there is no proportion there. You cannot do it. So what the proportion rule in double effect is, you are only allowed to commit an action, you're only allowed to allow an evil action to occur that would be in proportion to the good that is going to come about. So the good to stop this, you know, another example, uh, this guy who's going to attack Jen, you know he lives in this neighborhood. So you go and, you know, you, you hire a SWAT team and you kill everybody in the neighborhood. <laughs> Because one of those people was going to kill Jen. See how that's out of proportion? Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to do that. Um, um, obviously, the stem cell question. We're going to cure Parkinson's. We're going to kill, take, suck the brain cells out of eight babies to cure one person's Parkinson. There's no proportion there. So even though your intention in sucking the brain cells is not to kill the babies, it's just to get the brain cells, because your intention is to cure the disease. So you could say, well, that's a, you know, and we can fight that, you know, my intention was not to, to kill here, it was to just get brain cells. And so we could maybe get past the first one, but then you hit, well, you're going to cure a disease by killing. The proportion doesn't work. Not allowed to do it. All right. Um, and that one's going to get you through an awful lot of things. Yes. So back to the whole, this person attacking Jen. If it's something like someone's coming to attack and like, you know, kicking her in the ankle or something. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. That's a great example. Well, uh -huh. it's not like I'm going to go back and kick this person in the ankle. I mean, that's proportionate. I'd have to do more to. You, Very good. You need to do more to stop. You're going to have to disable them. But what can you do and what, what do you think you can't do? Take some things right off the table that you couldn't do. Blow up the whole neighborhood. All right. Blow up the, but how about even that person? <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to, like, take a chainsaw and carve them up. Okay. You know, you're not allowed to. You're, you're probably not allowed to pull out a machine gun and, and riddle them with bullets. You're not allowed to. Um, you're not allowed to, you know, you just go down the list. Right, but I mean, yeah. if, I, if I had a gun, you know, let's go back to that example, right. mm -hmm. and I shoot him in the head to kill him, mm -hmm. <coughs> I think that could still be in proportion with the idea of he's starting by kicking her, mm -hmm. 
but I don't know what else he's capable of. Does he have a gun? I mean, yeah, no, but see, now you're in trouble. You're in moral trouble okay. because you've left the area of certitude. You're presuming. And you're presuming. Huh. But what if I'm fearing? What if this guy's. This is culpability. This is her problem. Six, Whether seven, you're responsible or not. Pounds, and I'm like, okay, if I don't knock mm -hmm. him out now, yeah. now he's going to come to me and now we're both in danger. If you have a reasonable, very, very probable certainty that he is going to kill her. He pulls out a knife and it's. Yeah, pulls out a knife and he can kill her and you have the means to stop it, then you are allowed to. It matches. So theoretically, he's picking her. I don't know if he's got a gun. I'm not necessarily intimidated yeah. to stop him, and I have a gun. Yeah, I would shoot his knee. Shoot out. his knee out, or something. There you go. Okay. Yeah, and that would <laughs> that would stop the threat. Okay. But you, um, you know, essentially upping the stakes, and saying, okay, well, this was a small slight, and I'm going to pay him back with, you know, it's like it's like you my. Can, you can up the stake a little bit, but only to stop. Only him. to stop yeah. the action. Yeah. Right. My professor. Sure. What? Anybody want coffee? I'm going to do coffee. Um, just a little. Are you bringing it? Yeah. There's not a whole lot of coffee. Just like a little. Oh, really? Oh, okay. just like a yeah. tiny. Um, my professor used to call it curing a headache by decapitation. <laughs> the, the impulse to cure a headache by decapitation <laughs> is what that's the proportionality <laughs> argument in the church. It's like, you know. So you can up it a little bit to the point that you need to stop it. It's not stop like if he's kicking yeah. her, I'm only allowed to kick him back. Right. Might exactly. Here. Now, it's okay. that if you, what you're, you, what you have to do the minimal means possible. You have to permit the minimal evil possible to eliminate, you know, the threat. Okay. So the minimal evil that you're going to possibly allow to occur um, in order to, uh, to continue. Okay. So then there's always a risk that the evil on his part will increase and mm -hmm. he might die. Yes. Yes. We call it cycle of violence. Cycle of violence is what we call it. Yeah, but this is a great point because the presumption factor that, that Clayton mentioned, the church always, always has to presume that people might at any moment receive a moment of grace mm -hmm. and stop. And if you kill, you, you, you circumvent that. You have to leave room for it because we are, it's not our, this is another principle for Catholic ethics. The worst thing, excuse me, suffering and death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. That's a fundamental first principle. The worst thing is the loss of integrity, the loss of your soul. Spiritual death. Spiritual death, yeah. So if you die um, in this struggle with evil, um, your body, you know, Jesus says, don't be afraid of the people who can only kill the body. Be afraid of, of those who can, um, who can kill the soul, you know, or actions that can kill the soul. So um, that's, you know, the tricky thing here. And we're not, one of the things that I think that, it, you know, and again, I don't know what's going on in the innards of the Bush administration. And to tell you, I don't think it's the Bush administration. I think it's any, anybody who had been in power would have implemented the same. You know the same kinds of things. So I mean, the Clinton administration just demonstrated the same record of brutality. I think you know bombing all over the place just went in retaliation for stuff and you know whatever. Okay, um, so it's like governments. A government the size of the United States only knows how to respond one way. You know, which is um, um, shock and awe. Yeah. But um, I think that the Bush administration's um, decision to um, what was I going with that? Oh, to, uh, to respond um, in kind, uh, put America in a whole other place. You know, to, so, so when you're looking at, at waterboarding, you know, um, and torture, for example. Um, 
we're, they're going to do it to us if we don't do it to them. That um, a moral person has to just die. You know, you, you can't you can't do it. Um, and that's the, the the tricky thing here. We're not operating on the same le level as the demons. It's not a, it's not a that that's what I was going with that. The Bush administration kind of put into their brains we're we're going to be fighting fire with fire. Yeah. But see, fire is from hell. <laughs> you know, and and no, and it's not a level playing field. It isn't on this earth. It isn't. Satan says, "This is my kingdom." And so the idea of us um, fighting the same way is... is you start serving the other... You do. You start serving the enemy. You start serving... You become them. To tell you truth, I think this is one of the reasons I think Battlestar Galactic is such a brilliant show, because it puts us in the place of that, um, you know, where they're doing suicide bombings, the humans are doing suicide bombings to survive, and they're doing... They're torturing, and they're... You know, because suddenly they have to and then the question becomes well you why are you fighting these evil people you are them now what's the difference between you and them yeah that's the whole strategy of taunting somebody is you hope that they'll lower themselves to your tactic mm -hmm. and you'll have the better exactly okay so well, yes. I heard you say when I was in there I just want you mm -hmm. to say it again it's the most important thing is is Say losing liberty, not your protecting. Losing the loss of integrity. Integrity. Integrity and the loss of the soul. Yeah, the loss of integrity is what is what I mean by the loss of the soul. Hmm. That's a much worse thing than the physical death. Okay. All right. So we've now we've shown the good. The act has to be good or neutral. It has to be in proportion. The good. The the the. Um, the the evil that is going to come into being has to be smaller than the good that will come about, that we're going to achieve by this thing. All right? All right, good. Um, and, um, and the third thing, um, you cannot will the evil to occur. All right, this is big. You have to regret the evil is going to occur. So it can't be, we're going to nuke, we're going to not, we're going to bomb Baghdad, to kill 10,000 Al-Qaeda and 2,000 of those damn Iraqis who've had it coming to them are going to die. Oh, well. <laughs> like, now you cannot do this action because your secret desire mm -hmm. is to bring about the evil. And the church says you can't go ahead. So you have to feel absolute remorse and regret for the evil that is going to come into being. Okay. All right, now we can answer every moral dilemma you got. Sorry, what's number four? I thought oh, there was four. What's the fourth? Is there four? So, <coughs> proportionality, neutral, not will the evil. If it comes to me, I thought there's four. But if it, if it do you remember the fourth? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, those three, let's go. And if it comes to me, we okay. will. Basically, we're good with those three. I thought it was you were never allowed to commit an evil to bring about. A to bring about a good. I mean, that's the that is the that's probably the first that's of like the, the four. That's the umbrella principle. Right. right. Okay. So now we've got um pretty much every issue. Pretty much every issue. You now have the tools to decide whether you can do it or not. Um, I am going to, um, 
I mean, even from the little things. I need to get rid of this guy, this employee at my company, because um, he's just not doing his job. I don't want him to feel bad, so I'm going to tell him we just can't meet payroll. And that's why I'm laying him off. Can we do it? Double effect. Yes. Why not? You can't commit an evil. You can't commit. What's the, what's the evil of that right away? A lie. A lie. I'm going to tell a lie to bring about a good. Can't do it. All right. Most of the moral dilemmas can get eliminated on that level. It's the, yeah, because it was the lie itself that was going to bring about the good. Yes, the lie itself was going to bring about the good and making the person feel good. I was going to say, what's the good? Oh, I thought of the fourth one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. It's what he just said. The fourth principle is the evil that occurs, and, and we said this already, but I'm just thinking, cannot occur directly as a result of your action, but indirectly. It, it can only occur indirectly. Say that again. Is that called instrumentality or what is it? Is yeah, like you know, the evil that's going to be unleashed mm -hmm. cannot be caused directly by your actions, but only indirectly. That complicates the, the husband defending wife situation. Why? Well, because if... I'll just go with one through three then and I'll forget four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just makes it more, mm -hmm. really, the details matter. Right. Like, the details really yeah. matter. They do. The details really matter. Yeah. But, for example, um, the death of the, the civilians when I'm bombing Baghdad is an indirect result of me bombing the, um, the Al-Qaeda's. You know, I, I'm not bombing civilian neighborhoods. I'm bombing military targets. And, and those people dying is not how we achieve yeah, right. the victory. Their, their death does not achieve the goal. It's not, it's yeah. not like the recipe for our solution. Yeah, okay. Because they die, our goal is met. Like if, that, if that's the case, if that the evil that occurs is the, re, is the thing that fixes your, your problem, you can't do it. It, it has to be that the evil is just occurring, like, uh, you know what it's like? Like you're running into a barn to save ten people and three lions run out. That's double effect. It's almost like that yeah. distinction between accident and accident. I mean, it's like something that's happened accidentally. It's not, yeah. it's not essential to the yeah. end. And you know when you go in there, wow, if I go in there to save those ten people, three lions are going to get out. And they might kill a lot of other people, or they might kill seven other people. They can't kill, if they might kill a thousand other people, you can't do it because the proportionality thing. But they might kill the seven people back there, but if I don't rush in, I'm not going to save these people. I'm going to rush in and hope that the lions get stuck in the traps or whatever and get lost and we'll deal with them later, but I'm going to allow that to happen. The lion getting out is not my goal. Okay? So this, have this in your framework. And, and what I'm saying is whenever you hear an issue coming up now, that seems complex to you, Google double effect. <laughs> if you forget. It's not in here, is it? I don't think it is. No. Um, because it's the way you're going to work through all of these things, from stem cell research to bioethics to how you act on the job to, to whether you can buy stocks that, you know, a, a mutual fund that gives money to Planned Parenthood or, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's all in this. <coughs> okay. Any questions? Now we're going to move into the commandments. <laughs> Sorry, you said that some of that's going to be almost still kind of just justifying your own way, though, isn't it? What do you mean? Well, you said that about buying a mutual fund that supports Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. I think you can still, 
Um, Can you? Let's do it. Because of the ambiguity of some of the criteria? Yeah, I'm saying you can kind of justify and say, well, that wasn't my plan to support them exactly. to do Planned Parenthood, where someone else might say, yes, but now you know it and you have to do it. I mean, I still think there's some... Well, this is yeah. a great question. Supposing this mutual fund has 80% of its money going to St. Jude's Children's Hospital and another 5% going for um, crisis pregnancy centers and 2% goes to Planned Parenthood. Double effect. When you buy this mutual fund, what is your goal? Make to money. Well, okay, to make money. <laughs> All right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, okay. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I think when you bring in the make money just thing, control, then right? suddenly it's like, you know what? I'm not going to give a nickel to Planned Parenthood. But let me just say this. Supposing there was, it was the, you were trying to support St. Jude's and and okay. and the um, crisis pregnancy center. That's your goal. But in so doing, some 2% of your money is going to go to Planned Parenthood. The proportionality there is in your favor. Right. Because it's like you're not intending to support Planned Parenthood. Right. You just no other way to support these other things. And you might be able to call and say, I'd like to earmark these funds for right. this thing that you do. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It's just there's still a little bit can be a gray area depending on how people want to justify it. This is exactly true. Someone this, else might take yeah. it and say, Nope, I can't do it, and it's wrong that you are because it is supporting Planned Parenthood. Yeah. There's and, and this is whatever. where we get in trouble, frankly, because when you're talking about complicated questions like this, we have to be very careful about saying to other people, it's wrong for you to do this, because right. you just don't know how they've worked it out right. and what their real intention and goal might be. And it's like, and so, um, but it's what Genevieve said, the devil is in the details in many of these cases. Right. But if you can go back to first principles, you know, at least, yeah, at least you're asking the right questions. You've at least, at least gone through the, right the process yeah. and you said, I've, and I'm not saying as long as it's okay in your mind, but you yeah. know, the whole conscious thing. And so if you've worked through it all uh -huh. and, you're, and you're comfortable with it, it's yeah. much better than just, mm -hmm. oh, I just like the mutual fund, so I threw it in there yeah. and didn't really right. give it any thought. You've gone through the thought process to say, proportionately, these are the things I really want to support versus yeah. someone else who said, I'm just trying to make some money. It exactly. seems like a good investment. Right. You've kind yeah. of gone two different paths and analyzed yeah. it. Yeah, right? and I think that most of the time people just don't even want to think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the tricky thing. It's like I don't want to know if my mutual fund is supporting Planned Parenthood because I just don't want to have to deal with that. That's immoral. Yeah. You know, that's different than okay. I'm going to try to make. I'm going to. I'm. Tr this is the only mutual fund that supports this thing that's urgently important. Unfortunately, there's this. I'm going to work on that, but I'm. But I'm. I'm allowed to do it. For right. This. Okay. Um, so we can go there, um, we can go quite a bit on in this area. Um, I just, I wanted to teach you that because it's been immensely helpful for me. It's part of, I think, what the church was talking about. We read last week about educating your conscience, mm -hmm. getting beyond the ignorance. It's, you know, there's some ignorance we might not be able to overcome, but yeah. mm -hmm. you're obligated to overcome what you can. Mm -hmm. and, and back to the case of the mother with the child, just so that we're clear. The church says if you have to do that operation to save her life, she has the, the option to save her life and let allow her baby to die. And that is not sin. She's not trying, but she can't abort her baby to live. <coughs> but if the operation results in the death of the baby, she's allowed to do that. You don't have to um, opt. Um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't hold that at all. And that's a bad rap that people claim about the Catholic Church all the time. It's not true. Now, if she decided to not have the operation so the baby lived, the church would say she's unbelievably heroic. Like that's an act of supreme heroism. Now, if that operation required stopping the baby's heart, you couldn't do it, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. that would be, it would be you, instrumental you in the solution. Right. There you now you're in the action of, I'm going to kill the child to save the mother. You cannot do that. But you can save the mother and the baby can die. 
Okay. Okay, so then in the issue of capital punishment, right. you're violating the first. Not necessarily. The first, the action. <coughs> okay. The action itself. Is it, capital it punishment is, murder or killing? <sighs> On the part of the person who, who actually fulfills the states, the person who's actually driving the needle in the arm, is it murder or killing? Killing. Killing. Because the government is ordered. They're acting on behalf of the state, which has the power of the sword. Okay. Proportionality would say... It depends what they've done, I guess. Okay, well, and also, um, is this the only means to prevent this person no, from killing? No. There you go. That's no. where that's where capital punishment founders. Okay. Unless you could demonstrate to me that there is a person who cannot be stopped from killing. Whether he's killing people in jail, whether he's escaped yeah, right. five times, he keeps getting out. You know, that's be that becomes the point where the, 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 the state could make a case. Mm -hmm. We have tried to restrain this person, and we have been completely unsuccessful. He's brilliant, and he's devious beyond our wildest um, endeavors. So we have to, uh, the way that we would go and attack an enemy, mm -hmm. capital punishment falls under the same principle as just war that the state has an obligation to protect its citizens. So if you have a person who's killing and cannot be restrained, um, then you can um, make a case that if the state has to protect itself by killing them, the only option left. Okay. But the question is, how many times in capital punishment is that the situation? Yeah, yeah. that's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Can you, that many is, is sedation, is that, I mean, sedation obviously would be okay, right? Um, I mean, that, that in, becomes... In yeah, well, this is an interesting question. I think, yeah, I mean, that, that, that you'd say, well, that's, a, you know, yeah, I think that if the state has to sedate somebody like they do in mental hospitals or whatever to prevent people from, um, from harming themselves or others, then that becomes the question because sedation is robbing somebody of their autonomy and their freedom. Right. However, that, the po that would not be your goal in right. this case. Your goal would be to stop them from killing. The evil that's going to occur alongside with that is that they're going to have their free will messed with and they're not going to be able to be a free acting agent, a moral agent anymore. But you're kind of getting that proportionally. There you you're, go. You're doing what you need to stop them yeah. without going overboard. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge area, by okay. the way. To take away someone's moral agency is a huge, huge thing. Yeah. So proportionality-wise, you know, it's like, well, can I give them a drug that makes their legs mm. numb but allows them to still process and choose? That's a better drug. Because, you know, but if you have to, if the only drug available is the one that basically turns them into a, um, you know, a vegetable. A vegetable yeah. Okay. Now, you know, this is a huge, it's something that has to be proportionally decided, you know. But the question is, but the point is you have the ability now. Clayton has a... <laughs> this is um, from the Gospel of Life, which um, was when the Pope came out and made the statement about capital punishment that caused him to go back and edit this, the paragraph in the Catechism on a, on a surface. Mm -hmm. It's paragraph 55-56 of the Gospel of Life, Evangelium B.K. It says, legitimate defense can not only can be not only a right, but a great duty for someone responsible for another's life, the common good of the family or of the state. Unfortunately, it happens that the need to render the aggressor incapable of causing harm sometimes involves taking his life. In this case, the fatal outcome is attributable to the aggressor whose action brought it about even though he may not be morally responsible because of a lack of the use of reason. This is the context in which to place the problem of the death penalty. On this matter, there is a growing tendency, both in the church and in society, to demand that it be applied in a very limited way, or even that it be abolished completely. 
The problem must be viewed in the context of a system of penal justice ever more in line with human dignity and thus in the end with God's plan for man and society. The primary purpose of the punishment which society inflicts is to redress the order or disorder caused by the offense. Public authority must redress the violation of personal and social rights by imposing on the offender an adequate punishment for the crime. As a condition for the offender to regain the exercise of his, of his or her freedom. In this way, authority also fulfills the purpose of defending public order and ensuring people's safety, while at the same time offering the offender an incentive and help to change his or her behavior and be rehabilitated. So then he goes on to say, it is clear that for these purposes to be achieved, the nature and extent of the punishment must be carefully evaluated and decided on, and not, not go to the extreme of executing the offender except in cases of absolute necessity. In other words, when it would not be possible otherwise to defend society. Mm -hmm. Today, however, as a result of steady improvements in the organization of the penal system, such cases are very rare, yeah. if not practically non-existent. So that's why our inclination is to, as Catholics, you know, after the Pope came out with that, was like, you know, yeah, um, there's really so few instances in which we have to have capital punishment to protect society. Um, and just saving money is not something the church is going to acknowledge. It's cheaper to kill them than to keep them in jail. Because the presumption with the church is always going to be where there's life, there's hope. Mm -hmm. Where there's life, there's grace. Mm -hmm. So if you kill someone, you, you, you could circumvent. They needed two more years to get to this grace. And, and if you kill them, you, you cut that off. So we, we always, always, always want to have the possibility of life extended as, um, you know, not, again, um, not, it, we'll talk about yeah. extraordinary life extension, but I'm just talking about <laughs> human life. We always go with the presumption that human life <coughs> is a good. Yeah. So even if. And it just applies, just when it gets to that commandment about, uh, that, about truth, that a similar thing applies, you know, people's reputation and so forth, it's, we're going to presume the best about them rather than assuming the worst. Yeah. Because that's, you know, if you're signing somebody's reputation, mm -hmm. it's an act of, it's kind of like killing, mm -hmm. killing somebody's reputation. So in voting for someone, mm -hmm. you know, for mm -hmm. candidates and stuff, because this is all coming up, and, and my brain is just really good, I just don't know who yeah. to vote for anymore. What do you do? Totally. Yeah. Double so, effect. Yeah. yeah. So the question of, okay, well, if they... So there is a possibility that capital punishment could be okay, but 98% of the chances it's not going to be, right? Right. So really, we mm -hmm. should be voting for someone who's not? Who's well, yeah, I mean, that, that... I think you got to be careful, though, mm -hmm. because you have to I mean, look obviously at... obviously there's so many other... Yeah, you got to look at every other issue, exactly. so you, you right, kind of yeah. got to weigh everything and say, yes, I might be voting for this person because... Right. The whole right. mutual fund thing, 98% exactly. of what they support is right, mm -hmm. and this 2% is wrong, but this outweighs it. Yeah, right. this is what the church would tell you, that what you need to do in cases of, of voting, which is very complicated, you need to make a list of the issues that touch on the moral questions, and then prioritize them, and say, okay, um, you know, teaching sex ed in school is a serious matter to me. Abortion is a very serious, like abortion's up there. It's, you know, the, to me, the issue of our time. You know, it's the slavery of our, of this. So you can kind of come up with all the issues, put a weight on them, factor it up, and yeah. boom, yeah. it should say, be. And then you check, and they, they agree on this one, they agree on this one, they agree on this one. This one they disagree on. So number four is the first one that there's a difference between Hillary and Obama. 
or McCain and Obama. There's number four. And number four is stem cell researchers. Well, no, actually, they're both alongside of that one. Um, you, know, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, McCain is solidly uh, on, on abortion. He's, pro, uh, he's against abortion. He's, pro he, he's wrong on stem cell research. But at least right off the bat, if that's the number one issue for you, Hillary and Obama are absolutely committed to Roe versus Wade, the continuation extension of it, and the appointment of judges who will continue to perpetuate it. On this side, he's against that. So if that's your most important issue, you know, but maybe it's war, war making, where it's like, you know the what? Is, yeah. What if it's your most important issue, but um, you can sort of predict that there won't probably be more judges being appointed in the next, like, then you say, Then you have a good, you know, that's that becomes a factor. That, you know? Yeah. You say, but if you happen to know that John Paul Stevens is 88 years old, and being wheeled in a wheelchair, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg is dying of throat cancer and is clean, just clinging on with <laughs> her last breath. <laughs> so you know that there will be two Supreme Court justices who will resign immediately if a Democrat wins. Um, Which means that they'll be well, they will, replaced. They will be replaced, and that will be our, that's it. That's yeah. the five-vote thing, and it will be, they will appoint a 25-year-old <laughs> to be there for 80 years, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the Supreme Court is the terrain of this battle. The courts are. And, you know, Bill Clinton's real evil to me was he appointed 700 federal judges. And that, that completely um, changed the landscape of the American justice system. I mean, all of these issues. You know. so, so, but this is another factor. It's like, yeah. you know, you got, you got to make the list, and then you have to go down, and you have to prioritize, and you have to say, you know what? i got to do the best thing here. But you can't absolve yourself of your right of citizenship. And say I'm not going to go through all that. Like I've already, I've had two people tell me in the last week, I'm just not going to vote for anybody next year. It's like such a cop out. This is a hard, hard time to be a citizen. Has the church done that? Not that what they say is that they can prioritize for everybody, but is there a stance, or so to speak, have they done something to say? They'll put voter guides out where they'll kind of say these are the issues, and this is where the church stands on these issues. And then you, and then, and they can even say, and candidates have answered our queries and said, this is what they feel on all these mm -hmm. issues. And in fact, they do that. So you can find those things and then go through. And uh, but the church doesn't endorse or not endorse. Right. Obviously, they're not going to do that. But yeah. I mean, there's yeah. yeah. So that everyone's not reinventing the wheel and doing all the research to come up with everything. There is right. the yeah. The churches. Yeah. But if you have two pro-abortion candidates, now the question moves down. Right. You know. And and so. You know, and you just have to do the best you can using double effect. I can vote. I can vote for a candidate who's going to appoint a pro-choice Supreme Court because what I'm really voting for is the fact that he is going to help um, illegal immigration in a good way. You know, he's going to be compassionate to a group. You know what I mean? Like, right. there we start. <coughs> there you go. Okay. All right. Okay, we got to move on, and so we're going to move into the commandments now. And this is, um, you had to read about the morality, the passions, and the virtues. And I ask you, did you guys have any questions about that? Because I really want to get the commandments, but I will talk about that. That's section 1762, 1775. I think Dr. McEnary will be talking about the virtues next week. Okay, good. So why don't we just head right into the commandments then, because he'll, he'll be handling that. So we have this beautiful section uh, on page 496, 497, a listing of the commandments. You should commit these to memory. So if I said to you, what is number seven? Commandment. Oh, the seventh commandment. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the order. <laughs> All right, now put you on the spot. There, somebody yeah. number seven. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, 
I'm in shock. No, I'm in shock. You don't know the seventh commandment? Not off the top of my head. Okay, we need order. to we need to do a little yeah, bit of research. Okay, page four ninety six, four ninety seven. I think she's got a different version. Uh, so what paragraph? If you asked about number nine, that'd be a trick question. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> what paragraph are you? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at page 496 and 497, and it's a listing of the Ten Commandments. Sorry, it's, oh yeah, that's right, for you guys. Um, that would be, follows 2051. 2051. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so the next, num the next page is the Ten Commandments. And they have the um, they have from Exodus from Deuteronomy, and then they have the traditional statement of them. It follows uh, right after paragraph. 20. And the seventh commandment is, "Thou shalt not steal." Okay, <laughs> you have a master's in theology. No, I don't. Actually. Don't you? Okay, no, no, no. then I absolve you. Yes. All right, please memorize the commandments. Lord knows it's the only thing God took the time to write himself. <laughs> Um, and know also that the Catholic um, numbers are slightly different from the Protestant ones because I think they, I forget how they do it, they merge. Nine and ten, I noticed that. Um, yeah. Yeah, they merge nine yeah. and ten. Yeah. And Why? Um, because yeah. they have, um, they, I think they stretch out, they find a fourth one in number one. To tell you, I don't know, this is the correct one here. Um, it's just uh, there. Okay. So, the literal words that we're looking at today, why don't you read, um, um, let's read from Exodus here. Actually, somebody want to read that? Um, Exodus, I am the Lord your God, through the bottom of the page there, to remember the Sabbath day. Someone want to read that? Tim, sure. please, thanks. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth, in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath you. <clears throat> uh, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your manservant or your maidservant or your cattle, or the sojourner who is, in within, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Thank you. Now, what does all that mean? The difference between the Catholic Church and the other, and the Protestant Church is that the Catholic Church is going to tell you exactly what it means in the Catechism. And, and the others, I think there's a sense of people kind of making, figuring out what that means for mm -hmm. themselves. When you become a Catholic, the Catholic Church tells you um, keeping holy the Sabbath day means you join with other believers in, and, you, and you attend Mass and you listen to the Word of God and you receive uh, the Eucharist. That's part, not all, but that's part of keeping holy the Sabbath day. We're telling you that. And how does, sorry, how does the Protestant, how does the non-Catholic mm -hmm. differ? I mean, they will say, you know, hey, I had dinner with a very, very loving, committed evangelical last night who tells me he goes to church once a month. And I said, why? And he said, because. 
Um, that's when I, you know, I go, I go when I feel like going. And I said, well, what about keeping holy the Sabbath? And I had this in my head. And he said, well, you know, I, I keep it holy. And some days holy means I go to church and some days holy means I don't. And I've heard that, you know, like uh, when I travel sometimes, like, for example, I traveled to Israel last year with, I was the only Catholic. There were six evangelicals. And, and I said, you know, I noticed the schedule. We're leaving at 8 a.m. tomorrow. And I mean, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. I said, we're leaving at 8 a.m. tomorrow and we're busy until nine. I said, when do we go to church? And they were like, well, we're not. We don't have time because we're traveling. And so I said, well, then I'm going to get to Mass today because <laughs> I have to go to church. That's how I, my church tells me this is part of keeping the Sabbath holy. Um, and, and so, um, so the, the point that I'm making here is this self, there's so much room for interpreting a lot of this stuff in many ways. The Catholic Church is going to tell you this is how we interpret it so that you can know... Um, you know, and that's part of the membership. <laughs> you know, right, you part, part yeah. of that is the word holy. We're very precise about it, mm -hmm. that it means set apart. Yes. So the Lord's Day is set apart, meaning that there's something about it that makes it different from every other, every other day. Every you know, I have dinner with my friends any day of the week, mm -hmm. but I don't go and worship with the rest of the believing assembly every day of the week necessarily. Yeah. That's a set apart experience. Okay. Just, just yeah. curious. Yeah. I guess I hadn't really. Yeah. I, I because we were brought up this way. Yeah. yeah. That, that's why I yeah. say I don't know that that's indicative. No, it's not all across the board. Yeah. So to but me, it's a, kind it's of a, a, there's a kind of a um, you know there's a kind of a sense in a lot of Protestants of I can decide what a lot of this stuff means I think for that's me. Absolutely true. My experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, setting Sunday aside. Or, or going to church is not necessary, you know, for like your average non-denominational Christian. Mm -hmm. It's not really that important. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and you know, you, you, mm -hmm. they may say, "Well, I spent you know ten minutes praying this morning." And that was, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that they yeah. kind of interpret it how they want. Say, okay, I keep it holy, you know, and I didn't, I don't sin. On, I'm not going to sin tomorrow or whatever, or you know, I'm going to rest. And but I'm just all I'm offering it there that that. The Catholic Church is very precise about what the commandments mean. And, and the catechism is your means of, if you get confused, this, this is where they're going to tell you this is what this means or not. So, yeah. so, so then does that mean that, can, can you interpret this? Then does it mean, is it saying that you can go to Mass like on a Saturday evening yeah. and that is your mm -hmm. symbolic day of rest? The, the, the day structure that the Church uses is from evening to evening. And that goes back to biblical times. That the so Saturday sundown. Yeah, sundown, sundown Saturday through day. sundown um, is the day. Okay. You know? So um, and you know it's like well what at five thirty mass? Yeah, it's a you know but it's it's. Consi More daylight it's, savings. And yeah, stuff right like there you go. You know, I mean it's a it, it's to tell you the truth. Canonically, it's four o'clock. They say they don't want yeah. money to sweat over what time it gets dark. It's yeah, it's the, it's the idea. We're not, you know. Because Alaska, you kind of be in trouble yeah. sometimes. You know, <laughs> the, the tension in the Catholic Church, I think, one of them is we're very specific, but we're not. Um, what's the word I Scrupulous. want? Scrupulous. <laughs> you know, so it's like okay, you know, the, but the idea is the day, you know, um, the the evening to evening. We get that from the Jewish Sabbath. I just want to make sure I understood that with yes. the whole that we're not crossing like what the church says versus what the people believe. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, like the Protestant Church, I think would say this. Sure. It's the sure. people right. who have justified it. But I right. stereotypes. I mean, if we want to do that, you could yeah. say the Catholic Church says that. But I know a lot of people. Absolutely. I know a lot who are. Absolutely. I'm a Catholic, so I don't have to go to church every week. It's no, great it's, because they don't say anything. So no. I think we've got to be careful. It's a very good know. point. You see, I think it's also because the Protestants don't have the concept of mortal sin in the way that we do. So if I said to your pastor, I'm not going to go to church. I mean, I, I don't feel, I, I, you know, I didn't go to church last week. And you'd be like, well, that's not a good idea. You need to come together and be with the people. But then if I said to him, so have I broken off my relationship with the Lord? Have I, have I now fractured in a, in a serious way my, my relationship? I don't see him saying yes. Whereas for us, it's like, okay, the commandment is there. Thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath day. The church says, this is what that means. You say, I ain't doing it. I'm committing an act of disobedience, willful, free, for no good reason, except that I was out late last night and didn't feel like getting up. Or it's just I, I have my schedule and I don't want to change it. Okay. So now the church says, you have violated the literal meaning of the Ten Commandments, the law from God, that the people of God have interpreted this way. You know, um, having the key, what you hold down on earth should be held down in heaven, right? And the, and the people of God have said, this is what this means. So for you to do that, is in the Catholic mind, you have seriously broken um, your relationship with God. You need to repair it. You need to go to the community, lay yourself in front of it and say, I'm sorry, I, I, um, I really messed up. That's the Catholic difference, I think. Right. So then if I apply double effect to my regrettable nursing schedule, <laughs> which, by the way, I hate, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. then, then, I, then I'm okay, I'm in the clear, uh -huh. I have to work every yeah. other weekend, uh -huh. Saturday, Sunday. Is there, you, you cannot, this is what I would say to you, the church would say, I believe, you cannot continue forever in an occupation that prevents you from following the laws of God. So if there's a if you have to get up, you know, go to the the 5:30 mass on Saturday or the seven o'clock Sunday or the you're gonna you have to run out at your lunch means you don't get to eat lunch on Sundays when you work because you're gonna go to mass and get back and that's the like then you you can do it. But if you really really look me in the eye and say I cannot I'm in a job situation where I just cannot go to church you know, on Sunday I would say to you the church would say to you you need to get into a job that allows you to, because the first thing is the law of God. Yeah. And I mean, there's cases in the military, but you know, even in the military, <coughs> they have chaplains who are saying mass. Yeah. I was say hospitals, so. I'm sure they do. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I mean, some, it was the, the, the strangest thing. A few weeks ago, a little Hispanic lady came up to me, talking to me in Spanish, handed me a Spanish flyer as I was at the bedside, and said, are you Catholic? Or, you know, Soon. <laughs> <laughs> on my way. Here and, and she like I'm supposed to be reading this thing in Spanish. Where she like enough and it's third. They started a mass at one o'clock every Sunday. Isn't that cool? Oh. That's so cool. And then and then yeah. I just tried with all my might to make it one day and I just you know the job the nature of the job I just I got yeah. there at one thirty and it was over. Then there's no guilt in that. Right. So you try everything in your possibility to make it. Yeah. You know like there was one time when I was traveling in Europe and um. And I had, you know, I, I was alone. I was, um, you know, I didn't have a car, I, you know. And so I was like, okay, I have to get to Mass. And I found a church, and I thought I found the right time. And I got there, and it wasn't the right time. So then I 
desperately found another one, and I got myself like 12 blocks away to the other one, and it wasn't there either. And I was, I was like, I don't know what to do here. I couldn't, you know, but I really, really tried. And so then I went home, and it was like, you know, I, I, I spent an hour in prayer, which is the other thing to do. If you absolutely miss math through no fault of your own, then you still need, you still owe God an hour of reading his word and, um, and prayer. Um, and then make a spiritual communion. But the, the point is, and I said to myself afterwards, oh, if I had only known I would have gone on Saturday and I could have done everything. It's like, you know what, but I had a plan. I meant to execute. It was no fault of my own. And that's, you know. So it wasn't the willful disregard of like, was, no, I'm, I'm just not going. I don't feel like it. Yeah. yeah. It was actually my intuition. was I, I went to the chapel afterwards and prayed during my prayer. There you go. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. 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 What if you're home? I really with your parents to your Protestant church. Yeah, <laughs> trying to be respectful. There's a, there's uh, a commandment about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys, you know, you're not Catholic yet, so you're fine. I know, but I went <laughs> home again. I know, you will. Know, and you're going to have to have the courage of your convictions. Just, I can do both, right? You can do both. Can you do absolutely both. can do both. Yeah, okay. yeah, you can absolutely do both, and that would be loving and respectful and good. But, but when you become a Catholic, you... Um, have the obligation to receive the word and the Eucharist. Well, and the Catholic Church is right next to their church. So there you go. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the church makes it that way because it's like you need to have Jesus inside of you every week. You need that moment of his word in your mind and his body in your body and your soul once a week. And well, but yeah. with receiving the Eucharist, you don't have, I mean, that's only once, once a year. <laughs> okay, once a year, right. But, I mean, it's just, it's, a, the, it's just yeah. a provision knowing that we sin. Well, that we sin, yeah. right. The point is. As Barbara's rule. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, what the church is saying is well, that, you, you know. Sure. <laughs> you know yeah. You're, you're going to want to see the Lord every chance you can. Yeah. Yeah. Every seven days, <laughs> you know, you really, yeah. go back and get fed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and th- this is a little beside the point, but on the other extreme, Mass is offered every morning. Yes, sure. And, and yeah. what's that all about? We don't consider that an extreme. We consider that just like great. Same you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the more the merrier. And and if you have the possibility of attending daily mass, it's a it's a wonderful strengthener of your faith because it's you get the word every day. Yeah. You know, and then you receive communion every day and it starts you out and um, you know, and you have the what is the mass? It's an act of contrition. I look at my day. I say I'm sorry. Then I say I'm grateful. I hear the law. You know, it's the mass is a perfect prayer. So if you can go every day or three times a week or whatever, you know, there are people who go to daily mass every single day. Yeah. Many people. But that's not to replace. But that's not to replace Sunday. No, it doesn't replace Sunday. No. Sunday has primary place. It's the only one that's. If you go the rest of the week, it's good for you. But Sunday's the one that you're bound to. And the five um, holy days of the year. Those are the things that we want. Okay. All right. Quickly. Now, if we cover the commandments. All right. So when we talk about um, this first commandment, first of all, did you have any questions about it? Working our way through. The first commandment we're looking at. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Go. Okay. So I talked to um, Protestant the other day. And yes. They, were, they used to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. And he was like, well, it used to be Saturday that was the holy day. Mm-hmm. So why did we change to Sunday? Um, oh, um, okay. Oh, yeah. So we're gonna. Yeah, that's the number. Um, oh, that's keeping holy this out. Yeah, we're let's let's start with the. Words, oh, you're talking about number one. Uh, number okay, one. Yeah. What I would say about that too is that, um, frankly, that's up to dispute. Uh, the the Jewish Sabbath was from Friday to Saturday, but when Jesus rose on Sunday, the Christian community came together and said the resurrection trumps all. 
So it's just the Christian community coming together. Yes, okay. and saying the resurrection trumps all. So, um, so it, yeah, it, that's, you know. I tried to. It just didn't seem like it was mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Big of a deal, but he's like, well, here's the word of God saying, mm -hmm. keep holy the Sabbath. Yeah. Which, mm -hmm. since yeah, and the, the church just said, okay, the Sabbath is now. The seventh day is now the day of the Lord's resurrection. And, and the church took the freedom to do that because of the stunning, unbelievable, mo uh, that day is the new day. Like, it, it's the first day of the week from now on because man has been remade. He's now different than Adam. Yeah, it's the so. first day of the new creation. Yes, the resurrection. Yeah. yeah. So because their theology, they, and it's amazing that they did that. It shows how that their theology, they knew what was going on. You know, that this, the resurrection had been a stunning thing. It had been witnessed by all of them, and now it changes everything. That a man was dead and is alive. Um, uh, this becomes the first day of the week for us. Okay? Um, okay. Loving the Lord your God. Any questions? Should we just kind of the, the basic sense of it? Um, the literal sense of, of the, the grave matter of the commandment is you must not... Give to anyone but God the um, the honor due to God. We talked a little bit about it during the Creed on Mary, and, and the distinction was between people will say, oh, you worship Mary. It's like, no, we don't. There's worship, there's um, veneration, and then there's sacrifice. Latria is the thing we give to God alone. Latria is sacrifice. We don't sacrifice anything to Mary. But to God alone, we, we make sacrifice. We give ourselves. We set ourselves apart. Uh, so that's, yeah. you wouldn't give anything else your life. Yeah. But anything else where you would take something that is a power only to God and look for it in someone else or something else. So this is where we get into trouble with things like divination. Um, tarot readings, um, fortune telling, uh, seeing into the future, um, anything where you ascribe one of these powers to God. Only God can see. You know, Jesus says, I, the, the son doesn't even know the end. It's reserved to the father alone. So you're going to go to the lady on, you know, fountain and, and uh, Las Palmas and ask her to tell you what the future is going to be for you. What you're doing there is saying you have the power of God to see the future. This is this is um, evil. This is an, a violation, a direct, literal violation, grave matter of the sacrament. We don't get to to impute to any other human being this. Now, the, so that's the this this area of literally worshiping someone else. You know, saying that Buddha and and Muhammad are the same as um, as Yahweh. You know, and and that uh, that they're all in you know one. Um, this is um, gravely offensive. This is, you know, and, and, and honoring them the way you would, you know, uh, praying to them. You know, honoring Confucius and saying Buddha might have been a great guy and Muhammad misunderstood and whatever, that's fine. Saying, you know, praying to uh, Buddha and, um, and uh, that's the Hindu one or, you know, whatever, okay? And asking their intercession, asking their help. This is the direct violation of the commandment. It's mortal sin, grievously sinful to do this. Um, yes, Clayton. It also gets to kind of the, in, in 2116, it talks about what's kind of underneath all the divination, the magic, that kind of stuff. It says, um, consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, interpretation of omens and lots, phenomena of clairvoyance, mm -hmm. and recourse to medium, all conceal a desire for power over time, history, and in the last analysis, other human beings. 
as well as a wish to conciliate hidden powers. Mm -hmm. so we can get into the underlying problems with it. Very good. Um, another huge area that comes under here, and this is on 2001, which I just wanted to point to, um, that, that falls under this him only shall you serve part of the commandment is this obligation of vows that only to God do you make a vow. Because a vow is, um, you know, by definition, a vow is a deliberate free promise made to God concerning a, a possible and better good which must be fulfilled. Um, and uh, the idea of um, standing in front of God and placing your whole self in your hands and saying, I vow, blank, has the effect in it of, um, a com of it, it's irrevocable. It does, you can't go back on that. Um, and so this becomes now, you look at marriage, that is what matrimony is, is it not? I, I stand in front of God and I vow to him that this person now will be, um, I will work out my salvation with her, I will honor her, I will cherish her, I will protect her, she will do the same to me, we will be faithful to one another, we will be each other's only. And I vow it to you. If you break your <coughs> marriage vows, it's not against, that isn't the sin of um, the later down in the sixth and, sixth and ninth commandments about committing adultery. It's breaking your marriage vow is a violation of the first commandment where you have committed to God this thing. Um, so be careful what you vow. <laughs> you know? Be careful what you vow. Uh, your baptismal vows is another one. Now, child baptism in the church, we vow on behalf. You know, as the family, we vow on behalf. But when, as it, when you talk about adult baptismal vows, you know, this is this is me standing in front of God and saying, I believe everything you have revealed, and I give my life to you, all of my life, forever becomes a very, um, you know, very, very serious act. Okay. All right. Um, questions about that? Um, I don't want to get into the whole married thing too much, but mm -hmm. I, I do, when, I, when I'm saying the rosary in the last prayer, when, when you say to Mary, my life, my, my sweetness, sweetness, my, my hope, hope. Right, yeah. and, and those words are, are a little strong for me. Sure. And, and so I, yeah. I, you know, I struggle with yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good, you know, I would say, I mean, is Mary our life? Are, are, you know, she's definitely sweetness and hope. Um, I think that life thing might be strong, except in the sense in which it's meant poetically and lyrically as um, I, you know, I love you very, very much. <laughs> and as long as you see it that way, I mean, no, God is, you know, if you really want to get literal with it, which it isn't, it's, it's not, um, that prayer is poetry, it's not theology. And, and that is um, always the thing you want to, I'm not trying to cop out here, I'm saying, you know. Yeah. The only sense that she could say she's our life, I think, is that she was a chosen instrument, it didn't have to be this way for Jesus to come into the world. Yeah, she brought us life, you know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's poetry and it's, devo it's, it's out of love and devotion. If you find it uncomfortable, you know, that's you know, there are other words. Yeah. You know, say yeah. instead of my life, my sweetness and hope, and say to my friend, my mother, or you know, our mother, or whatever whatever it does it for you. you know? Yeah. 
but, um, mandate that you said ever. No, that's not a matter of that. Writers, writers and artists have no problem with, you know, Catholicism. It's an image. It's No, but it's a good, a good point. Let me just, um, let me just ask you one then, because we have this, you shall not make for yourself a graven image. But how about, there's one up there. And, um, well, you know, oh, hey, there you go. Right out there. Okay. All right, what do you think? Graven image? But we're not worshiping. There we go. Excellent. <laughs> However, like <laughs> somewhere in the in the big book of, of what what the popes have Catholic rules. Mm -hmm. Catholic rules. Um, you know, images are well, okay. You're not worshiping them. Yeah. Images are Venerate your venerate. You can can reveal the gospel. Yeah, you know it's like mm -hmm. it's like on on par with the scripture. Yeah. Images can be sacred images. We call them sacred images for a reason. That they, they were created by a believer, and this is in the letter artists, by the way. The Pope says if a believer broods over the word, and then and then opens themselves to God, and creates an image, it becomes an act of revelation where God works with them to reveal something prophetic to the people. So in that sense, it's a sacred image. It has a revelatory power. It's not at the same level of revelation as sacred scripture, but it is the fruit of the prayer of, of a believing artist in union with God who still, every in every age, is um, translating the meaning of the gospel for the people of today. So artists through the ages um, do that, and they do that sort of the prophetic role in the church. Uh, the John Paul II actually refers to a priestly and a prophetic role that artists have. So, having said that, we we can venerate some of these images as um, a level of, of um, in that in that they reflect the beautiful and that they reflect the truth. We can say this is a gift to us. Um, you don't, they don't have special powers. They don't, you know, we don't worship them. So, so honestly, Mary out there in the courtyard, the real function of her, uh, that image, is the same way as me with my picture of my mother and sister in my wallet. I love them. I have them in my wallet, not to worship them, but to remind that it makes me happy, you know, to see them. And so to surround ourselves with the family, that's the spirit in which we do it. If we create a statue to then become the golden calf, a graven image that will have power of itself, where, where the Jews say to this, this calf, you are the God of Israel. And then they cry out in front of it, and they make sacrifice to it, and they, you know, that's the, the, the prescription. Yeah, I think that last part, people like to pick on those images, but it's like anything, nature. I mean, you could say the hotel across the street, anything could be yeah. the same yeah. concept. People yeah. like to pick on something because it looks, I think, more religious or yeah. more mm -hmm. like we would actually worship it. Yeah. Versus yeah. And, and this is stripped, this iconoclastic thing that hit Christianity that stripped the beauty, beautiful images out of the church has had a terrible ratification. You know, the, the church's images were called until, um, you know, the, the, the um, you know, 15th, 16th century, they were called the catechisms of the poor because people were largely illiterate. So, so to be surrounded by works of art um, where they, they could see the, their faith, you know, in the stained glass windows and, and the paintings, and, and then you have this thing come along where it's like all of that was translated as graven images. We must make no images. Mm -hmm. And so so you get this kind of stark um, phenomenon of, an, especially in American, Pur well, Puritanism and American Protestantism flows from Puritanism, of, um, you know, white walls 
And um, that's it. You know, we will have overhead no grave images. Yeah. An overhead projector. An overhead projector. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think it's, um, there's something very powerful about when you get distracted at mass, looking over and seeing the seventh station on the wall. Yeah. You know, and it's like, if, if it was a white wall, then I would just be looking, I would be in my own head, but suddenly mm -hmm. I'm looking at, mm -hmm. you know, this thing, and it resets me, and, and you know, so, yeah. And yet you'll find nobody who goes to Rome and goes into these churches and who is just so bombarded by the beauty of these, you know, architectural, if for nothing for the art of it, you know, you won't find anyone who who doesn't see that as beautiful and, you know, and somehow makes them want to hush and be quiet and, you know, and silence there. It's, you know? People don't go there and worship the walls and, like, this wall is what... And it's awesome, and it's, um... It's such an ironic... Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a great line in 2131 that says, the uh, last line of it is, mm -hmm. by becoming incarnate, mm -hmm. the Son of God introduced a new economy of images. That's great. So we're dealing with something that's new. Yes. Christianity, it's like God has a human face now, mm -hmm. and because of that, everything after it can echo this the incarnation. This is a great, great point. Yeah. You know, the Old Testament, the graven image clause was given to a people who did not have the incarnation. Right. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, God becomes matter, and now matter is sacred. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't it doesn't invalidate the law, but it puts a different. Now suddenly there's an obligation to have images of Christ, who incarnated Himself. You know, and um, it, it's a funny kind of twist thing. God did but, not violate the commandment. Yeah, but even when you have crucifix or or a sacred heart statue, we still don't worship those, even though they depict Christ. We understand what they are. They're they're family photos. I think there could be people who do, in which case it's wrong. So yeah. I mean, it's yes, just as long as you know that. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. not the teaching of the church. Right. And one right. of the things that we always take a rap for in the church is people that do do stuff like that. And, right. and so, you know, I, oh, every time I get in arguments like this or whatever, people come up to me and say, did you see this girl? She said that. And I'm like, well, she's misunderstood. You know, she's not well catechized. God love her. I'm sure God is going to meet her in that, but that's not the teaching of the church. You want to talk about... When I went to Fuller... I, I, they consistently misstated Catholic teaching using things like that and then refuted it. And, and I was like, this is not the teaching of the church. This is somebody's aberration. And don't tell me I can't find aberrant people in any Protestant church in America who think this is what Christianity is. So, so it's not fair to do that. So that's a, that does get in my craw a little bit. I'm happy to take the Catholic, you know, defend the Catholic church um, uh, from errors and stuff like that, but you know what I mean? I, I can't stand when um, we get bad raps for worshiping Mary and worshiping statues, and it's just not even true. So, Okay, second commandment. We're going to be moving quickly here because we're, we're a little bit late, but um, second commandment. Now, um, oh yeah, so, but anyway, let me just finish the um, one last thing on the first commandment. So, mortally sinful is if you do any of these, you worship anything that is not God. You make another God for yourself. That is the great, the literal sense of this commandment. Um, other sins that fall under this, though, would be the deification in any way without, not, uh, the unconscious deification of anyone who is not God. Where, but wherein you make something a God for yourself without declaring it that. You're not building a church, you're not consciously worshiping it, but my boyfriend needs me to be a size six. I will do anything in my power to, to, I will make any sacrifice because he needs me to be that. You've made him your God. You know? I, can't, I don't know who I am unless this association tells me what to think or do. 
you know, um, this group of thing, this thing. You know, my job is taking from me my whole life. I, I offer to my job, you know, as Barbara Hall says, you know, for 25 years, Hollywood has been my higher power. I, I made my sacrifices to it. It had all my free time. It had my adoration, my service, my love, my focus, and my attention. Um, that is sinful. It's not necessarily mortally sinful because it's not like you're consciously um, creating a new religion. <laughs> but in effect, you are. So when you go to examine your conscience at confession, you spend time on the first commandment, you say, have I made anything God for me this week that was not God? Have I offered, you know, have I, have I created a deity? And that one, that's why you have to go, when you go to confession, you go at least 20 minutes to a half an hour early because that one takes a bit of time. You know, it's, it's a harder one than, you know, did I read, did I have impure thoughts, which is easy in the ones that we get most bent out of shape about. But it's much, those, those are just because the machine works. You know, <laughs> let's face it, the machine works. That's a different thing than um, this, which has a much ability to take over your whole life. All right, number two, and we're moving fast. This is take the Lord's name. The literal meaning of this commandment is you will not call God to witness to something that is not true. Jesus says, don't swear by anything. You know, he says, they say, you know, they say don't swear by, you know, don't swear. You can swear by the chair of Moses. And the Jews said, you can swear by the chair of Moses. Jesus says, don't swear by the chair of Moses. Don't swear by the head of your head, the hair of your head. Don't swear by anything. Because the chances that we are going to um, fall short and then have committed a, you know, um, if, it, if it ends up that we, we may lose our energy or whatever, you know, we've, we're in deep density, right? So the better thing is, you know what? Don't say I swear to God at all. But there's sometimes when the society asks you to, right? Um, in court. So perjury is a mortal sin. It's not, you know, a good strategy. It's a mortal sin. Because you have sworn, to, I, I swear before God that, that what I'm about to say is true. So don't, don't swear. Um, but if you do swear, you better not lie, <laughs> because that is the literal, um, do not call God to, you know, the, the, the line, God will not be mocked, that's what this is. Don't call God to be a witness for this. Yeah. I think some people just don't think about it, but there's a difference between swearing and just cussing or general vulgarity. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's not even mentioned in this no, commandment. No, vulgarity goes under the fourth commandment. No, the fifth commandment. Vulgarity goes under the fifth commandment, yeah. which is um, thou shalt not kill. Right. Because it is a way of killing the spirit, vulgarity. So the F word is a violation of the fifth commandment yeah, in first. some level. Not this one. Now there's another. So then, so the main level of this is you do not get, you don't swear falsely. You don't ask God to witness falsely. The next level down of this commandment is just being loose with the with the word that refers to um, God. You know, being casual with it. My God, blah blah blah. You know. Now, there's a sense of "Dear Lord" is a prayer. I use it myself, <laughs> but I have to be careful sometimes because sometimes it's just an expression of dismay. 
um, that is a level of um, not necessarily sin, but not a good idea, depending on how you use it. Okay. And if you use it, you know what I would say the sin would be? If you use the name of God in any kind of angry setting, you know, to kind of like, you know, God, what is wrong with you? To me, this is, this is venial sin, not just to me. Because you're kind of invoking the power of God. Yeah. yeah, you're invoking the name of God in, 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 in your own fury or anger or rage or whatever. Yeah. God doesn't serve you. Okay? Any questions? Number two? Good. Number three? Is that what Harold was thinking about that? Yeah. Down with the wind. Yeah. This, as God is my witness, <laughs> I'll never be hungry again. But you know what's so great about that scene? I don't think it was sinful. You know, that's really Scarlet. She really meant it. <laughs> she really meant it. Yeah, she really meant it. But, you know, that is a fabulous scene for that reason. It has all the weight of that. You know? I wonder if that scene would still work today with people. Because God, the name, you know, I, just watching, um, I was watching um, Extreme Home Makeover the other night. And all through the house when they had the, you know, they had given this new house to this family. And every single thing in the house, they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, like the whole episode. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if that scene with Scarlett O'Hara as God is my witness would, like, even have any meaning in that context now. You know, because it's like, it, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. Well, maybe they were violating the First Commandment with that one. Or they were addressing the house. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Big screen TV. <laughs> Okay, um, third commandment, and the last one for today is the Sabbath. And um, so the literal meaning of the Sabbath is um, that it is not a day of servile work. Servile work, not a day of servile work. We'll see what that is. Very clear about that. And then number two, that it is a day where you come together with the community of believers and, um, and you, you give to God alone. Um, this time, sometime. Servile work. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Clayton has all this reference material. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's a setup here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paragraph 453 of the compendium, which is like a summary. Christians keep Sunday and other days of obligation holy by participating in the Eucharist of the Lord and refraining from those activities, refraining from those activities which impede the worship of God and disturb the joy proper to the day of the Lord or the necessary relaxation of mind and body. Mm. Activities are allowed on the Sabbath which are bound up with family needs or with important social service, provided that they do not lead to habits prejudicial to the holiness of Sunday, to family life, and to health. Mm -hmm. Now, that immediately gets Tim off the hook. <laughs> you're it. You are, Tim. Right. Yeah. Because someone, you know, Jesus says, if your donkey falls into a pit on a Sunday, you're going to get it out. Um, you take care of the needs of the sick, and and on Sundays the sick are sick. Yeah, so so that is a burden that you take on that you um, give your rest on the Sabbath. But you, here's what you do: you transfer it because you still need to have a day of rest. And that's the tricky thing with people who work on Sunday. You better make sure that your Monday or your whatever day it is is a day that is this day of Sabbath because. You know, knowing you have to go to mass on Sunday, you got to find a way to do that. Then, but the rest factor, which is the other part, is given to us to step back, to enjoy one another, you know, to be family for each other, 
and to do something delightful that isn't productive. Maybe that's why I'm always overwhelmed and yeah. you know get more and more small tasks built yeah. up and I get overwhelmed when a new small task gets my plate because I never allow myself rest. You have to. I mean the commandments are not given us because God is persnickety. They're giving to us because God knows us. And he knows that, you know what, you have got to stop this rat race of productivity and, and in delight and enjoy, or you are going to have a very miserable, sad, overburdened, anxious life. So what I would say to you is absolutely, if you as a nurse, you have to work on Sunday. Um, but you still, you still need Sabbath, um, and you still have to worship on that, that day with the people of God. Um, now, if you're if you're taking care of the sick and you cannot, like I said, absolutely cannot get to mass because there's an emergency or something like that, you're absolved. But that's not the case in most. They've made it so possible. Now, there's lots of other work that we yeah, do. Yeah, like if you're a waitress, you're feeding the hungry. You know, this so one's a tricky one. To eat on a Sunday, then are you sitting? Are you your sitting because you're making else? people no. work? Work? Yes. Um, Does this it imply is, that they won't get the necessary relaxation of mind and body? Maybe they can, you know, they can get have relaxation before and afterwards. Mm-hmm. Maybe the tips will allow them to. All right. Yeah. This is a great question. Okay. Yeah. Can can someone waitress on Sunday and not have on that day the time of necessary um, a rest of mind and body? Um, it's a tricky question. It's a tricky question. I think that most of us have just turned Sunday into any other day. And the thing is that, that that's dangerous because it's not what it's supposed to be. So, um, you know, live alertly. Live alertly and, and um, don't, you know. And the thing is, servile work. My father used to love to mow the lawn on Sunday. He loved to do that because all the rest of the week he was in a tie in a office and being out with the smell of the grass and cutting the grass and everything. And it was like, you know what, for a gardener, that would be sinful. Because that's what he does. For my father, it was a change. Oh, um, the church says recreation is a change of occupation. Mm-hmm. It's not the literal what what the thing is. Mm-hmm. It's a change of occupation. So, you know, for me, for uh, someone who's a, a chef to cook on Sunday is what they do. For for someone else to cook on Sunday is the day I get to cook. Okay. So so again, um, be. Um, be careful. But here's where it would get tricky. If you are as an employer and you have people under you, yeah. now it's like, you know what? Be careful. Be careful what you mandate they do. What about like the entertainment industry? I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of work happens Sunday. You're, yeah. you're a PA or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, I, like I said, I think the church mm-hmm. would say to you, if your job asks you to do this periodically, yeah. you have to, you can do it. As long as you make amends and you, as I said, you know, you, you make sure you have status, etc. If you take a job where you know, where they say to you, just so you know, we get you from noon Saturday till dawn Monday morning. You're ours. And that's your life for the next two years. I don't see how a Christian can take that job. Because this is the law of God. (laughs) Okay? Um, all right. So the literal of the literal breaking of the commandment, the mortal sin, the seriously sinful, would be, as I said, to not um, to not worship with the community, um, and then uh, love other levels of sin under that, and then and then intentionally treating Sunday like a regular work day. That would be that would have serious ramifications. Um, then beyond that, 
the le next levels down would be anything that violates, you know, in, in without, um, anything that violates the spirit of the day. Uh, going to church and then being aware that you're not paying attention and being okay with that. You know, and I'm just going to sit here and brood over this problem. I'm not going to listen. I, I, you know, I'm just going to zone out. Like, it's okay if you get distracted. It's not okay if you get, um, if you consciously allow yourself to do that. I remember um, this one seminarian, uh, this priest that was giving a spiritual direction told us a story of a seminarian who came to him. Sorry, I'm going to be a little crass here, but I thought it was a good story. If I, um, I fall asleep at mass every day, but if I think about sex, then I don't. <laughs> and he said this to his spiritual director. <laughs> And so I can stay awake if I do that. And the priest said, fall asleep. <laughs> because the falling asleep was a, is a weakness of the will. The thinking about sex was a deliberate choice to entertain temptation. But what about the nuptial meaning of the mass, though? It must have been an Irish priest, right? Exactly. Um, anyway, I thought that was a funny. Um, I always thought that was a funny case. I remember that. It's like I can stay awake if I if I just, <laughs> you know, and it's like fall asleep. You know? um, so anyway, um, the point is, if you become distracted and you become aware of it, then you have to try at Sunday mass to put your mind back. And if you just give up and say, you know, not this is this is some kind of thing. Okay. So um, anything that violates the spirit of the day becomes another area. So these are the first three. Um, talk about God. Next, we're going to start talking about um, the next time we get into the commandments, us and people. All right. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, take care, and God bless.